Good? Great. It's great to see you. It's great to be back up here with you again, breaking open the word. It's an absolute privilege for me to be able to, again, stand up here and share God's word with you today. Now, I'm picking up not exactly where Fred left off last week. Um, Remember, we are doing broad strokes here in our series at looking at the Bible as one unified story that points to Jesus. But we are picking up this morning um, from that place of original sin and brokenness that Fred spoke of last week when we looked at Genesis 3 together where Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit. Now we're going to look at Genesis 12 and 17 this morning where God establishes a covenant with Abraham. And it's a good place to pick up the story because we've been confronted with sin, as we learned of last week, and the consequences of it. That is humanity's removal from the garden, separation from God. Sin corrupted the shared space humans had with God in the garden. Now, if you've been reading Genesis along with us in your version Bible plan, you will recently have read just the ripple effect that sin has continually had on humanity. And so just a couple of things we want to make note of here before we get to Abraham's story together here. So sin is so just rampant. Things get so horribly bad that God is grieved by it. He's grieved by it. So what does he do in Genesis chapter 6? What does he do? He sends a flood, right? So Genesis 6, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe out mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth for I am grieved that I made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So we know that God spares Noah and his family and makes a covenant with Noah when the flood is over, saying, never again will I destroy the earth um, with a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. Okay, the earth then repopulates from Noah and his descendants. And we have lots of genealogy sections of scripture that follow this. And we have to take note of this one particular thing here about Noah's son, Shem. He received a blessing in Genesis chapter 9, verse 26. Noah pronounces over him, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Because of this blessing from Shem's line of descendants comes Abraham. And the entire Jewish nation, and eventually Jesus, and so I would add that includes all of the Christian body today. You all remember that Sunday school song, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. I actually sang that to Adele a few weeks ago, and she looked puzzled. And she said, Mom, so we're brothers? (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting, right? (laughs) 
So Shem had many sons and daughters, one of whom was Terah, and Terah was Abraham's father. So what we see in Abraham's story, beginning in Genesis 12, is God establishing his new covenant with humanity. Now the word covenant means agreement, it means allied, a treaty, and it's essentially a relationship between two partners, two parties who make promises to each other and work together to reach a common goal. And so what we see God doing here in establishing his covenant with Abraham is that he is re-establishing his relationship with humanity. And so even after all this evil and sin in the world, God is providing a way for humans to continually be in relationship with him. In Genesis 12, 1 to 3, we read this. The Lord had said to Abram, and we're still talking about Abraham, we'll see how God changes his name to Abraham in chapter 17. Go away from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse the ones who curse you. And in you, all the families, the nations of the earth will be blessed. So God is setting up his covenant here with Abraham. And remember what we know about covenant here. It's a treaty and means to be allied with. So we have holy God and fallen humanity. We are sinful and separated from God's holy presence. And so through his covenant then, God is creating a way to be allied with humanity again. Now too, God's not just saying, I choose to bless you, Abraham, so sit back and watch. No, Abraham has a role to play in this covenant too. And covenant is not exactly a partnership here because we don't stand on equal ground with God. Humanity brings nothing into this except a right response, which is an acceptance of God's promises. This is a reestablishment of relationship with God simply because God is gracious. So we must respond, but it's absolutely God's doing. Again, I believe it just shows God's love for humans that originated at creation in the garden. He says, I'm not going to control you. What I'm going to do is to simply invite you to follow me because I'm good and I know what's good and I know what's best for you. Live with me in the garden. Have everything you will ever need. Just don't eat the fruit from the tree of good, of knowledge of good and evil. Trust me, I know what's best for you. And right here in Abraham's story, I'm going to make you into a great nation. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Trust me. Leave your family and relatives and go to the land I will show you. I need you there. I know what's best for you. And so we see how from the beginning in Abraham's story here, how God longs for this loving relationship with humans, one that's not forced, but rather invites one to choose and follow his ways because his ways are good. 
and his ways are best. Over to Genesis 17 then. This is where we have the actual establishment of this covenant with Abraham. Genesis 17, 1 to 8 says this. This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I'm changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. God says to Abraham, I will always, I will always be your God. And I want us for a moment to consider what this statement means together. I will. Now, we did a whole series on this in the summer. You will remember, right? And one thing that can sum up this series is that whatever Jesus says he will do, he will do, right? Jesus then, being God's son, bearing the same qualities of God, we know that what God says he will do, he will do. God is faithful. And so we have assurance from God here. We have promise. We have blessing. We have identity. And that this is God speaking for himself. We have intention. When we say, I will do something, we have intentions of doing it, right? Right? I know sometimes we fail at that, but we do have intentions of doing it. We may fail at that, but God doesn't fail at that. He is absolutely faithful. He says, I will always, I will always be your God. Not always be part. We have commitment. We have just unconditional loyalty. I will always be your God. That is, I will be your creator, your giver of life, your preserver, your leader, your provider. And the list goes on, right? I will always be your God and the God of your descendants. And so God is reestablishing his relationship with humans. And he's starting it here with Abraham. Now, we see how this covenant really starts with Abraham trusting God with that blessing back in chapter 12, packing up and leaving his relatives and going to settle in Canaan. And here in chapter 17, we see how it requires obedience. There are things he and his male descendants will have to do. I'm thinking I should have preached on the fall last week instead of getting into all the details here of the covenant. <laughs> Verses 10 to 11 says this, This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. So the mark of circumcision would be Abraham's and his descendants' reminder that they followed God. Now, if you're like me at all, you're probably thinking, or it's at least crossed your mind, why this? <laughs> why this? Why did God choose this as a sign and symbol for his covenanted people? Now, I will admit, I do not have an answer 
for this exactly, but after spending quite a bit of time in Genesis over these last few weeks in our YouVersion Bible plan, I was reminded of the enormous amount of sexual sin, so much sexual brokenness that perhaps this mark, this symbol, was to be a constant, continual reminder of commitment and obedience to God, maybe, especially, in that area. Even the most private and intimate parts of who we are need to be surrendered to God. Regardless, this covenant and this symbol was to be a sign of obedience and belonging. And because of it, they would be known as God's chosen people. So what are we taking away here so far from Abraham's story? There are many more details here, but we're just leaning into covenant here this morning. The fact that even in the midst of all the sin and brokenness, God is working to reestablish his relationship with humans, right? I think that's the big piece we need to know and understand and realize. God chooses Abraham and his descendants to do this, and he assures them, I will always be your God. So we're learning together through this series that the Bible is one unified story that points to Jesus. So we're going to shift gears here a little bit. So over the span of 2,000 years, God keeps this covenant. Though humans would continually break it, and as God promised, he proved, I will always be your God. There are many times through the Old Testament where God points to the day where there will be a new covenant with humanity. Let's look at Jeremiah 31 together, verses 31 to 34. It says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to someone, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So Old Testament prophecy right here pointing us to Jesus. And what we learn from this prophecy and Jesus' teaching in the New Testament is that this new covenant is really about a new relationship between God and his people, one where his son Jesus pays the ultimate price for humanity's sin and failures, one where Jesus becomes the one who restores humanity's separation from God, making union with God possible again, making space shared with God possible again. Hear it again from Hebrews 
chapter 8 this time. But as it is, Christ has acquired a priestly ministry, which is more excellent than the old Levitical priestly ministry, for he is the mediator, arbiter of a better covenant, uniting God and man, which has been enacted and rests on better promises. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will imprint my laws upon their minds, even upon their innermost thoughts and understanding, and engrave them upon their hearts, affecting their regeneration. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people." And it will not be necessary for each one to teach his fellow citizen or each one his brother, saying, No, by experience have knowledge of the Lord, for all will know me by experience and have knowledge of me, from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful and gracious toward their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. Jesus is the new covenant with God. We enter into a relationship with God today through his son, Jesus Christ. We enter into a relationship with God through faith, through belief in Jesus Christ. God sends us Jesus so that our sin can be forgiven, so that we don't have to stay separated from God. Remember, God is so holy that our sin separates us from him. And Jesus comes and he pays the price for our sin so that we can be united with God again, so that we can have a relationship with God again. Jesus forgives our sin and restores our broken relationship with God. And it's all because of God's glorious love and grace for human beings. I will put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts. This is personal and intimate, right? The language here, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. This is about God giving the power of his Holy Spirit to know and follow his ways. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they all, they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. This new covenant, this new relationship is a personal experience. The message paraphrase, I will put my law within them, write it on their hearts and be their God and they will be my people. They will no longer go around setting up schools to teach, other, teach each other about God. They'll know me firsthand. The dull and the bright, the smart and the slow, I'll wipe the slate clean for each of them. I'll forget they ever sinned. God's decree. It's the beauty of this new covenant. It's personal. It's meant to be experienced personally. I want to add this. Genesis 12, chapter 3. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. We read it earlier. God says to Abraham, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Jesus comes to us through Abraham's family tree. Jesus was born to save humanity 
from their sin. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 29. Paul assures us of this. For now we are all, we are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And we who have been baptized into union with Christ are enveloped by him. We are no longer Jews or Greeks or slaves or free men or even merely men or women, but we are all the same. We are Christians. We are one in Christ Jesus. And now that we are Christ's, we are the true descendants of Abraham. And all of God's promises to him belong to us. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are descendants of Abraham. And as God told Abraham, I will always be your God, he tells us today, I will always be your God. I will always be your God. Always. He says to us, believe in my son. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to me. Jesus is the way to me. Jesus is how you can have a relationship with me. And so what does that look like for us? It means choosing Jesus. It means coming to God in prayer, asking for forgiveness from our own sin and failures. We all have them. We all have them. It means accepting his love and grace, allowing him to restore our brokenness, the shame, the guilt, the failure that we carry, and giving our burdens, our worries, our anxieties that overwhelm us, we give it over to Jesus. Knowing that in him there is mercy, and there is freedom, and there is peace, God gives us Jesus to restore our brokenness and separation from God so that we can be found in his presence, united with our creator again. Amen? Amen. Isn't that a wonderful promise? He will always be your God. And through Jesus, we always have a way to him. No matter where we are, no matter who we are or what we've done, we believe in Jesus, we are descendants of Abraham, and those promises are meant for us. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, our Savior, our Rescuer, our Redeemer, our only way back to right relationship with God. Through Jesus, our relationship with God is made possible, and it's made personal. God is not some distant God, but he is with us through his son Jesus and through the spirit that he gives to each and every one of us who believe in him. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes, amen. I want to invite you to stand with me, and I want to invite the worship team to come back up. And I want you to sing with me this morning, I believe in the name of of Jesus. I love worship in this church. Do you? <laughs> yes. Great. So I want to invite you to sing this as your personal declaration of faith this morning. I believe 
in Jesus. This is our creed. This is our statement of belief in the one true God, the one who loves us, and in the one who is the way forward for us, Jesus. Now, as we worship, if you are looking for prayer this morning, I want to invite you and I want you to know that there is prayer in the fireside room and we have people there willing and ready who would absolutely love to pray with you. And so if that's something you feel you need this morning, please, please know that you are welcomed with open arms in that room and there's someone there waiting to pray with you. Let's worship together. Let's use these moments to connect with God, our personal loving God, and let's sing the statement of belief in Jesus together. <laughs> 